from there. There's, uh, if you look at the King James Bible and read 2 Timothy 2.15, there's a statement that says, uh, Study to show thyself approved, uh, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And some Christians have jumped on that statement, and when they see certain truths that need to be distinguished, They'll say, hey, he's rightly dividing the word. And yeah, you need to distinguish truths that need to be distinguished. First coming, second coming, lamb, lion, for instance. But really, rightly dividing isn't cutting it into sections. It just means carefully analyzing it. But uh, if you're using King James, I would entitle this study tonight, rightly dividing the word of truth involves distinguishing between the rapture and the second advent. Now, what does that mean? Well, here's our baseline, and I'm using uh, my chart of the book of Revelation. Chapter 1, John is commissioned to write the book. In chapters 2 and 3, Jesus evaluates the course of the church age as he interacts with seven specific local churches. In chapter 4 and 5 of Revelation, a door's open in heaven, and John's caught up in heaven, and he sees the scene in heaven after the rapture, but before the tribulation proper starts on the earth. That's where 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 fits in, the rapture. Then, Revelation 6 through 18, the largest section of the book by far, deals with the seven-year tribulation, and 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11, deals with the tribulation also. So this passage we're looking at, 1 Thess 4, 13 through 5, 11, is the third part of the book. He talked about salvation, sanctification. Now he's talking about anticipation about the future, and it breaks into two parts, the rapture passage and a generic description of the tribulation dynamics. Quick quiz on First Thess 4, 13-18. If you were here last week, I see how much you remember. The prophetic portion of First Thessalonians, we've got salvation, sanctification, anticipation, right? Has two subunits, has three subunits, has four subunits, has five subunits, has six, six, six subunits. Now I ask you, how many subunits we got? There's one, there's two. So what are you going to say to that question? You say two, right? Uh, true and false. The term rapture does not appear in the New Testament. That, that's true. And just please remember, and some people will say that like, boom, so the rapture can't be a biblical doctrine. But in fact, if you look at uh, verse 17, it says, the Lord will descend from heaven in the air, and those who have church-age Christians who have previously died prior to this will be resurrected first. That's the reunion of their bodies supernaturally transformed with their soul and spirit. And then verse 17 says, and then we, Christians who are alive when Christ comes back, as he says in 1 Thess 15, 51, behold, I tell you a mystery, we're not all going to die, but we're all going to get changed when Christ comes in the air for the church. So the generation, we who are alive and remain on earth when Christ comes to rapture his church will be caught up when they translated that original Greek term, which we're reading in English, caught up into Latin, 
And a guy named Jerome, he had no last name, he did it in Beth- Bethlehem roughly 400 A.D. on the number. He translated the Bible into Latin. It's called the Vulgate. The Latin verb that is used in that translation for what we're reading as caught up is the Latin verb rapturo. And so as a convention to describe Christ coming in the air and catching up believers who are resurrected in place and going back to prepared places, it's called the rapture. So technically the term doesn't appear, but it comes from the Latin translation of a biblical term in First Thess 4, 17. According to Brad's teaching last week, the rapture is ultimately all about A, the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, B, the calculation of the exact date of the second advent. If you say that, you're in trouble. The resurrection of church-age believers, A and B only, none of the above. It's ultimately all about the resurrection of church-age believers, right? So tonight what I want to do, we surveyed the passage and tried to kind of have a baseline for what's there and before, before we analyze it in more detail. But tonight I wanted to spend our time on distinguishing between the, the rapture event, which is described in a lot of places in the New Testament, the two most important, in my opinion, are 1 Thess 4, 13-18 and 1 Corinthians 15, 51-58. As I like to say, Pat, that will never change. When you move to Mexico in the year 2019, I don't want you to move this year. I want you to move in 2019. You never know. You never know. Uh, but that will never change. In New Mexico, you know what the two most important passages on the rapture are? First, the same ones. It'll never change. But, and there's a lot of them, and we'll look at a couple tonight. But I want to distinguish between the rapture event described in First Thess 4, 13, 18, with the second advent. I guess I stopped going through my baseline, didn't I? Church age, rapture, and revelation chapter 4 and 5, tribulation, Jesus calls it the tribulation, the great one, in Matthew 24, described in Revelation 6 through 18. What's described in Revelation 19? The second advent, Christ coming back to stop history on God's terms. Uh, what follows next is chapter 20, which six times tells us that a thousand-year kingdom on the earth, and then chapter 21, 22, is a whole new creation, a whole new universe, new heaven, new earth. So we're going to try to distinguish tonight between the rapture event, which is described in our passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, and the second advent of Christ, uh, I don't believe they're the same thing. Now, realize a lot of Christians do. A lot of Christians, even those who believe in a literal kingdom, as I do, so they're called pre-millennialists. The second coming happens before pre-a millennium, a literal millennium. Uh, a lot of Christians think the rapture passages are fulfilled, will be fulfilled in connection with the second advent. That is, uh, the rapture is going to happen as Christ starts coming down on his way down to end the tribulation, to put the Antichrist out of business and establish the kingdom. As he's coming down, church-age believers who previously died are resurrected, and then we who are alive will be caught up to meet Christ in the air in resurrection bodies. Uh, and we're going to be caught up as he's coming down, and we're going to fall him right back down. So a lot of Christians in uh, and I respect the view, but I just respectfully disagree that put the put these two events as the, really the same event. And tonight I want to try to give you a couple of, of things that I think will 
be helpful in, in understanding they are different events. Uh, they have some similarities, but they're not exactly the same thing. Okay, So I've got this convenient chart here. And uh, the white, that's white, right? I can see black, white, and yellow most days on a good day. And you realize when I have both eyes open, I only use my left eye. Do you know that? Yeah, I don't like to talk about my problems, but I'm just telling you. Yeah, you know, and you know what? I was halfway through dental school before I realized that. I'd compensated. And so this is before AIDS and stuff, but I was trying to do a class two amalgam on a, a patient. And we had these individual cubicles that were kind of cordoned off. And when we would get to certain points in our procedures, we had to find a professor to go say, yeah, you did this correctly, move to the next step. They were drinking coffee somewhere usually. So they didn't watch us work on patients. They just watched us at certain steps, watched our, our progress at certain steps. So one, one day I was basically sticking my face down the lady's throat to try to see what I was doing, three dimensions, and a professor walked by and he said, you know, he, went, he just freaked out, you know, you can't do that, you know. And so he said, have you ever had your eyes worked up? And I've been wearing glasses since I was 18 months old. That thick were the glasses. But I'd always gone to optometrists. There's nothing wrong with optometrists if you need lenses. But I needed uh, an ophthalmologist, and I went to an ophthalmologist uh, one week. Uh, University of Texas Dental Branch allowed me to go to the University of Texas Medical Center for free and get a big workup. It took like all day to work it up. And a week later, I came in there, and she said, and all this time, Debbie's attitude about seminary totally changed, and my desire to go to seminary ramped up to the max. Uh, I mean, I would have been happy to sweep floors for a living rather than trying to do class B amalgams since I couldn't class two. Since I couldn't see them. Anyway, uh, I went in to get my results, not knowing what she was going to say. And she goes, uh, she sits me down and says, you can't keep doing dental school. She said, I wish you were in law school. You can do two dimensions, fine, but you cannot do three dimensions up close. You're going to kill somebody. And I said, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to law school. I'm going to seminary. So I told my wife. Called my parents. They wouldn't talk to me. My dad would not talk to me. Thought it was a conspiracy so I could go to seminary. And uh, then I went to school and went to talk to the dean the next day. It took two days to check out of dental school. You had to return all this stuff and sign stuff. And You can get out of being secretary of state easier than getting out of dental school, apparently. Uh, yeah. So uh, anyway, that's that. But yeah, so I can see white, yellow, and black. So the stuff in white is talking about the rapture data. Second uh, advent is in yellow, talking about second advent data. If you're listening uh, on the World Wide Web, I think maybe we can put this uh, handout with the chart on, on the web, and you can check that out, too. That's what we're looking at. But let me just say, you see at the bottom of the chart, the very top of the chart, very bottom of the chart, let's start there. I'm going to say the Bible teaches the, the rapture, the movement of the rapture is, for believers, is up and away. Uh, Katie, you got a Bible handy? Look at John 14, 1 through 3. The, the, we're talking about differences between the rapture and the second advent. Rapture is believers being caught up and going away to heaven, whereas at the second advent, Jesus comes down and stays as the sheep and goat judgment, puts the Antichrist out of business, ends the battle of Armageddon like that, Sheep go judgment, and then starts the kingdom on the earth. It's two different things. So what does uh, John 14, 1 through 3 say? Okay, where's the Father's house? 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. To me, that's a that's the the uh, rapture, not second advent. He's preparing heavenly places, going to come and take us to heavenly places, and that's not what the second advent is all about. Second advent is down, uh, stop, just wipe out the enemies that Armageddon, uh, separate the believers from the unbelievers, sheep and goats, and then either go into a kingdom literally like I believe, or a lot of Christians think all oh, that's been fulfilled allegorically, and we go directly to. New heaven, new earth. But either way, second advent's all the way down and you deal with the aftermath of the uh, tribulation. So that's a, a categorical difference. Now, a passage that almost nobody cites in this debate, in this in-house debate we have is First Thess 1, 9, and 10. I've already told you how important it is because he kind of outlines the three major parts of the book in that statement. But just real quick, he says, uh, you guys are doing great. And we're just trying to reinforce what you're already doing because the people in your region tell us how great you're doing in your faith and how you turn to God from idols, which he amplifies in chapters 2 and 3 about their initial salvation, to serve a living and a true God. He amplifies that in 4, 1 through 11, their sanctification. And anticipation, 4, 13 through 5, 11, to wait. We work and we wait. We don't just wait and, and not passively not do anything. We work and we wait to wait for his son from heaven in the rapture event for 13 through 18, whom he raised from the dead. He resurrected, and the rapture is all about resurrection. That's when we get resurrected. Whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. I think a lot of people, anytime they see wrath, they think of hell. And is it true that Jesus delivers believers from hell? Yes. Is that what he's talking about here? No. <laughs> the word orge, translated wrath there, never refers to hell. It always refers to earthly tribulation or issues or problems. And the wrath to come is the tribulation in that context. And the way we're rescued from, the way the church is rescued from the tribulation, Revelation 6 through 18 to come, is through the rapture of the church. Let's look at a Old Testament passage on the second advent. Now, we've talked about Revelation 19. Most of that whole chapter talks about Second Advent. But look at Zechariah, not Zephaniah, Zechariah, right toward the very end of the Old Testament. I can remember as a guy who went to dental school and then worked as a scientific instrument salesman for 18 months to pay for dental school and then went to seminary. I'd go to chapel every day, and I loved every minute of Dow Seminary, but for the first six months, I was scared spitless that I was going to get embarrassed with, uh, and I was, must have been very self-centered because there were 250 people in each class. We had four years of classes, so you had 1,000 people in chapel every day, but I was afraid they were, I didn't know where all the Old Testament books were. I was just afraid we'd go to chapel with our Bibles, and they would say, turn to Obadiah, and I'd be the last guy to find it. It would take me like 10 minutes, which is one reason I always tell people, it's okay to look in your table of contents. It's always, it's fine, you know, but for some reason I thought that was against the rules. This is Zephaniah, post-exilic prophet, roughly 430 B.C., talking about the end times before the Messiah will set up the kingdom. We call that the second advent. Look at verse, verse 1. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you, people, of Israel, uh, descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will, divide, will be divided among you. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. What's well, one of the first things you see on your typical Israel tour, Homer? You see the valley of 
where all the major armies are going to mass. Zechariah 14. Yeah. Zechariah 14. Did I I say that wrong? I misspeak all the time, and the older I get, uh, the more I do it. So at any time, you need to clarify, even on Sunday morning, that's fine. But you have to say urination on Sundays. That's the rule. You have to say urination on Sundays. Wednesdays, that's just me. I don't know if the elder board will approve that or not, but that's, that's just, but Wednesdays is okay. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a joke. But now watch this. So here's a guy writing under inspiration 430 B.C. and saying God's plan to end human history as we've known it on his terms, supernaturally, undeniably, will be to gather the major nations against Jerusalem uh, to battle, and the city will be captured, the houses, rav- uh, houses plundered, the women ravished, and half of the city exiled, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. And then, in the aftermath of the horrors of the Antichrist invasion of Israel, the Lord, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. We recently have seen the Mount of Olives in the book of Acts. What happened in Acts chapter 1? The ascension of Christ. Where's the first place his feet are going to land on the second advent? Mount of Olives, right? Which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split. And there is a fault line directly under the Mount of Olives, geologists tell us, but I'm not sure Zechariah had looked at the geological charts or whatever. And the Mount of Olives will be split. That's another thing you can tell the kids. The Bible said it here first. Remember that, uh, Eric, on one of those charts I sent you? The Bible says it here first. You know, the, the water cycle and all that stuff, the blood uh, cycle and stuff. be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley. So half the mountain will move toward the north, the other half toward the south. You'll flee by the valley uh, of my mountains for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Yes, you'll flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Hang in there because we get to a great statement, verse 9. They'll come about in that day. There'll be no light. The luminaries will dwindle for it'll be a unique day which is known to the Lord neither day nor night, but it'll come about that evening time there will be light. And it'll come about in the day that living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea, the other half toward the western sea. It will be in winter as well as summer as well as winter. Now watch this. And here's the punchline. Here's the bottom line. The Lord, you know, the Lord who is going to fight like on a day of battle, whose feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. That's got to be the second person of the Trinity who was incarnate in Jesus Christ. Uh, And the Lord Jesus Christ at his second advent will be king over all the earth in that day. And it won't come from UN declarations or votes. Any, any place. The Lord will be the only one. His name will be the only one. And it goes on from there. That's the second advent. So I'm, I'm trying to say this kind of data argues, in my opinion, categorically, that the rapture is one thing, the second advent is another. And the rapture of the movement is re- resurrection in place for the generation alive when it happens. Meet the Lord in the air. Go back to prepared places. Second advent, Jesus comes down and conquers the earth and stays here. Uh, rapture happens in the air. Second advent ends up on the Mount of Olives. 
in the rapture, Christ takes us back, believers, to prepared places in heaven. Uh, on second advent, uh, Jesus comes back to prepare the earth for the millennium. The rapture will end the church age, and it's, it's imminent. It could happen at any moment. Every generation thinks it's got to be our generation. And I'm just thinking with Iran, North Korea, Pakistan, either having or about to get nuclear capability, it can't be much longer because all the maniacs are going to have weapons of mass destruction times a million. And so I just got a feeling we're getting really close here. Now, I'm 62 and holding. I'm not going to get any older. I'm just going to get wiser, okay? So, but I, I do know that there are no biblical signs that have to happen for the rapture. It's imminent. We'll emphasize the importance of imminence in the next couple of weeks. Whereas the, uh, and I think I say that, uh, the rapture will end the church age and lead to the initiation of the tribulation. Uh, whereas the second advent ends the tribulation, puts Antichrist out of business, right? Read Revelation 19 and 20. That's how Antichrist is defeated by the second coming of Christ. Here's an interesting thing, bit of data. Paul calls the uh, rapture a mystery. 1 Corinthians 15, 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. There's a generation of Christians that won't die, but we're all going to be changed. You've got to get a resurrected body to take part in the rapture, that's what the rapture is really all about, about the resurrection, right? Rapture is a mystery in the Old Testament. The second coming of Christ is a major theme in the Old Testament. It's all over the place. Almost every one of the minor prophets, if you look at them, the last chapter or two talks about the second coming of the millennium, okay? Now, a lot of people say, well, that's going to be fulfilled spiritually in the churches, and it might even be right. But you can't deny the, the second advent of Christ the second advent, the glorious appearing of the Messiah, is a major Old Testament theme. But Paul talks about the rapture as a mystery, which means something unrevealed in the Old Testament, revealed just in the aftermath of the first advent of Christ and the functioning of the New Testament church. So for me, it's kind of a slam dunk, but I respectfully I want you to know other Christians see them as the same thing or two aspects of the same thing. And... That's fine. You know, it's a free country, and uh, and they can see it that way. And I was, as I would like to say, they might even be right, but I'm going to preach my convictions here. And if we can close, look at Titus 2.11. So what's the practical import of this? Well, I do think that Bible prophecy is practical for a couple of reasons. It, it comforts and it convicts. It convicts us not to be so selfish and self, self-centered and and short-sighted because God's got a big picture that Dale Corbin's a part of because he's a believer and Pat Fleming's a, a part of, even if you do move to New Mexico. I, yeah, I know, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chase your moving van crying, you know. It's going to be a, a very unhappy day at the McCoy house when you, when you move. Um, yeah, I, I think that Bible prophecy... Uh, convicts us to be more Christ-centered, and it, it comforts us that he is in, in, in charge. And as we talked about last week, he's going to be looking for stuff to like when he rewards believers for our fruit. And I'll just end with this, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Uh, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all, not all without exception, but all without distinction, all kinds of different people who believe. 
regardless of country, color, or culture, instructing us who have believed to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, the church age, looking for the event daily that will end the church age. What's that event? The rapture. Here Paul calls it the blessed hope. Hope doesn't mean I hope it might happen. It means I'm looking forward to something that's been promised that will happen. Looking for the blessed hope. What does that mean? And is an equal mark there. It's an ascensive chi. That is, I'm talking about the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who in his first advent gave himself for us to redeem us from all of our sins, our lawless deeds, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So I do think that when you think through the implications of Bible prophecy, uh, it reinforces all of the exhortations of Scripture and ought to motivate us to, to take our faith seriously, be consistent, and uh, to be comforted in uh, a lot of the things that could really demoralize us and discourage us. Okay, So now it's 8.02, and we need to be done two minutes ago. But I'll take two minutes for questions or clarifications. If I said something, I can clarify quickly. So we'll go to 8.05. So you see what I'm saying? I'm, I'm saying there's a distinction between these two events. The rapture ends the church age and leads to the tribulation. Second advent ends the tribulation and puts the Antichrist out of business. And then the kingdom of God goes from there. Okay? Comments?